Okay. Welcome to episode 36 of Blue Jays Happy Hour Live. I'm Nick Ashbourne, joined as always by Andrew Stoughton. And uh, our last episode was fairly recent. It was a, a dark moment for the Blue Jays. We come to you today, a couple of days later, a slightly lighter tone after the Blue Jays have pulled off a walk-off win on Monday. And the story coming out of that win was undoubtedly Mr. Danny Batts, who I feel has been a little bit of a forgotten figure for the Blue Jays in recent weeks. And we can talk about maybe too forgotten from a playing time perspective. But he's got six hits and two home runs in his last game, in the last three games. His season WRC Plus is back up to 118, which is very good for a catcher and pretty good for anybody. Uh, and the magic uh, split that everyone loves to use, his line since he returned from the IL last year. Uh, this is 218 plate appearances, 254, 321, 570 with 17 home runs. Uh, where are we with, with Danny Bats right now? Uh, I mean, we're better than what we were a couple days ago, I'll say that. I, um, yeah, it's, uh, you know, 118 way to runs career. Plus, I was just, you know, yesterday writing and arguing about Bo Bichette being, like, not having a bad year. And it's, uh, is it wrong? It's been not so great. Uh, this most recent run, you know, since he came off the IL. Uh, but he does seem to just keep doing these things. And it does maybe come in bunches, but it also, you know, has, it's happened a lot. It's been pretty good. Um, do you think he should play more? I mean, Alejandro Kirk is, uh, uh, you know, still walks more than he strikes out, but as sort of not hitting the ball with authority or, or not hitting for, for power uh, the way that he was in the first half. Uh, I think there's a spot for Jansen to see a little more playing time. And obviously, you know, the uh, last night showed what uh, what he is capable of. Yeah, I mean, there there is the defensive discrepancy between the two, which Kirk has closed somewhat this year. But, you know, you do feel a little bit more comfortable with Jansen back there. And when he is hitting, uh, like he's been hitting over the last few days, obviously he's not going to do that forever. He's not a complete monster. But... He is someone who, you know, from the bottom of the order gives you a little bit of a power boost. And like weirdly, the Blue Jays are a team that sometimes is lacks a little bit of that power the way it's dropped off for, you know, Guriel famously. Vladdy's not having the same season. Bo's not having the same power season. Uh, you know, Teoscar has struggled or is not healthy right now. Like it's weird to say, oh, the Blue Jays could maybe use a dose of power, but that is a little bit what Jansen is and what the Blue Jays potentially need. And like you said, Kirk has been really not nearly as good in, uh, in offensively in recent months, like his isolated power. He had no extra base hits in April, then 222 and 294 in May and June. I think we always knew that he wasn't that guy. But last season, he was at 194 over the course of, you know, not, you know, 60 games. But, you know, you think of him as someone with some punchy gap-to-gap power at the very least, and he really hasn't shown that in a couple months. And that, does he still deserve to be in the starting lineup most days? Yeah, for sure. You don't sneeze at a guy who doesn't, you know, who doesn't strike out as much as he walks, and he puts a ball in play and sprays line drives. He's hard to shift. Like, there's a lot of things to like about him, even when he isn't hitting for immense power. But the idea that, like, putting him on the bench – is heresy uh, is maybe a little bit different these days. Yeah, I think so. I don't, you know, I don't want to get carried away with Jansen because obviously this is like this uh, quite a, a burst for him. 
and, and I think that maybe there are certain matchups that obviously they're looking at and they feel that he's more uh, more likely to produce in. Uh, also, apparently, if he's ever at Fenway Park, it's a good time to have Danny Jansen in the lineup. Um, but, yeah, it's... Uh, He's a guy who obviously, like you say, the, the defense has been uh, has always been there. They like that a lot. Uh, and I think a little bit of power, you know, it's boom or bust, I feel. But, uh, yeah, when he's going, ride that hot hand, I think. And, and, you know, he's never really had a chance to to get hot and stay hot. It always sort of, sort of seems to end in an injury. So I'm certainly curious to see more. And I think that maybe, you know, some more days off for Kirk couldn't hurt and might be something that could spur him to get back to where he was. I mean, this is, uh, he's played a lot this year, especially compared to in previous seasons. You know, he was, you know, he was in the big leagues last year. He's hurt, you know, for, uh, he was on the 60 day in the middle of the year at one point, uh, you know, in 2020, he obviously, you know, that was obviously a shortened season. So, so, you know, it wouldn't shock me if the workload is catching up with Kirk a little bit. And uh, I mean, maybe that's what we're seeing in the, the ISO and, and that, uh, and, and just the way that he's not, uh, not, you know, not, you're not seeing a lot of slugging percentage from him right now is, is I guess how I would put it. Cause I think he still does, you know, I think the exit velocities are still fine. And you know, like you say, he still sprays line drives and that's kind of the guy we always thought he would be. Um, but yeah, at the moment you're just you're seeing a little less of that, and you're seeing a little more of like, okay, he's on first base, gonna gonna need a few hits still to score him, kind of stuff. Which you know I don't want to become uh, <laughs> the the angry sports columnist from from 20 years ago about you know oh just uh, going station to station and 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 like that that was a conversation that I remember having with. Uh, uh, with or at Rich Griffin for a long time, um, but yeah, I think that uh, I, I think that, that that obviously I think he should ride the hot hand with Jansen, and, and he's a guy that the Jays obviously really value, and I think his teammates do as well. And you could sort of, I mean, they would have reacted for anybody in the, the situation last night. Uh, but I mean, I think you, it felt like, you know, just because of what a part of this team he's been and how long he's been here, he's probably one of the most long, the longest tenured guys uh, around. I mean, I guess beyond besides Teoscar, because he did come up early in uh, it was it 2018, and uh, Russell Martin kind of sat and played video games for a month. Um, they're, they're, I think that that's uh, yeah, just I, I think that that's something that they should ride absolutely. And one thing about Jansen and sort of his evolution that I think is underplayed is the idea that he hasn't necessarily become like if you look at you know he'll, you'll, his average is 224 and his on base is under 300 and you say okay well Jansen has sold out everything to exclusively be a power hitter well he's still a guy who strikes out less than 20% of the time he's still a guy who puts up a respectable walk rate i know he hasn't gotten on base but like the BABIP has generally been low for him because he hits a lot of fly balls and not all of those leave the yard Yada yada yada, but there is some notion that you know he's underperforming his expected stats, and he does walk. Like I don't think you necessarily have to assume. Oh, this is a guy who's only going to get on base below you know below thirty percent of the time, which does you know I don't know if it makes him unplayable every day or anything. There's various ways to be good, but I, I do think that there's this idea that Jansen now his new form is just he's home runs or nothing else. And I'm not sure that's 100% accurate. No, I, I don't think. I mean, he, he hit the ball pretty hard there on the walk-off hit last night. And, uh, and yeah, I think there's a little more that he can do. And because he just brings so much with the glove and because they really like him running the staff. Then, uh, yeah, I think it's a move that kind of makes itself. 
Another thing that I noticed from the last night's game was Jordan Romano has been kind of interesting to me for a while because he's someone who I feel like you just don't talk about him because he's not the problem. If anything, he's just held <laughs> up as like, oh, yeah, he's fine. So let's worry about everybody else. And I think there have been times this season where we were too confident in Romano, to be honest. Um, but he, he's actually getting progressively better. Like I have his velos by month here, April 96.5, May 95.9, June 96.7, July 97.3, August 97.7. Last night he threw in a hundred mile an hour pitch for the first time. Uh, you know, he's got a 129 ERA since the beginning of July. ERA can be tricky with relievers, but he's not walking anyone. He's still striking everyone out. And now he's doing a couple more stints above three outs as well. So uh, it is weird because I think all year your worry was, man, they have to use Romano so much. They're in so many of these one-run games. Like he's going to wear down over the course of the year. And instead, you've got a guy whose role is growing and he's only throwing the ball harder and commanding it better, to be honest. And uh, it's a kind of a surprising development, but a, definitely a positive one for the Blue Jays bullpen. Yeah, I, I think absolutely. I mean, seeing him hit 100 was great uh, because, like you say, we've been watching the, the, the velocities all year. They've been kind of volatile, uh, to say the least. And, you know, not just month to month, but game to game sometimes. And that's been a bit weird. And, you know, uh, maybe you tip your cap to the load management stuff and, and some of that. I mean, I know that he got used a lot anyway. I don't know if we saw as much load management from him. Usually when there's been a situation that calls on him to pitch, the, he would pitch and uh, you know, but also we've seen some velocity increases uh, across the board a little bit for the Jays, right? Like Gosman was throwing harder uh, the other start, and uh, Jose Barrios threw his, the hardest pitch of, 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 of maybe his career. I don't know what it, I, I, I looked this up the other day, but it, it was, he definitely hit like ninety-seven point something, which was like the hardest of his season in his most recent start. Or not, not, not this one because you know, if, even if he was throwing that hard, it would probably get uh, you know smacked back right at him. But, uh, but yeah, I, I think that that's been sort of an interesting development, that there have been sort of some velocity gains for guys. Uh, uh, maybe, I mean, I don't know if it's a gain per se, because Romano could always throw hard, but uh, to see him getting better and better, which I think you're absolutely right about, is, uh, is huge. And to, get, and to be able to get a couple innings out of him is huge. That just knocks everybody back down an inning. And, and you know, Jimmy Garcia being pretty good lately is, uh, is, is, not, is not bad either. Yeah, I mean he's he's been really solid recently. Romano is uh is interesting too just on the sense of his command and control because he's someone I think it's unfair cuz closers often get put in this box of like oh he's the wild man who comes in and throws 99 and who knows where it's going and it's just sort of an easy narrative but he has been sort of that guy at times. And now I'm looking back at his last 21 innings, and he's only walked one guy unintentionally. Uh, the fact that he's had been called on to do three intentional walks is kind of weird. Um, but I think most of those have been generally justified. There hasn't been a big uproar of John Schneider's intentionally walking guys. But, you know, Garcia as well. And he's someone who you're always reticent to be like, oh, is he good enough to be your second guy or whatever? I mean, he looked like that on Monday. He's looked like that at times. You've got Bass, too. I don't want to say, man, this bullpen is getting good, but maybe, man, this bullpen is getting adequate, which is uh, that's that's a bar that's been hard to clear for a lot of the year, and now it's feeling more and more like maybe this bullpen isn't as bad as people thought at the at the time it was its worst, which probably shouldn't be surprising. That that's true. That's definitely true. Um, and you know, again, nobody like as we always said, nobody's going to rely on on. Uh, 
I'm Julian Merriweather and Nate Pearson. Pearson's throwing a, a, a live BP on Wednesday, coming, you know, making his comeback. He's going to be that, you know, he's going to be Nate Pearson out of the bullpen, which has been pretty good uh, when he's been healthy enough to do it. Uh, at the, you know, especially at the end of last year, uh, with some of it in 2020. Um, you know, you, you can't rely on that guy to be there, but uh, if he shows up and he stays healthy even for a month at this point, like that's, that's pretty huge. Uh, and Merriweather's been pitching really well in AAA, and I know that some of those numbers, you know, we've seen it time and time again that, the, you know, oh, this reliever has good numbers in AAA and then comes and gets his hand, head handed to him. Um, but, yeah, no, the situation there is not as dire as maybe we think. I mean, this could change, you know, very, very quickly. Uh, you know, the people are fickle about bullpens, and I think, you know, especially when it's just it, it, where it's not the Mariners, it's not the Braves. Uh, but yeah, there's some, there's some things to like there. There's certainly not the problem, you know, as a unit right now. And, uh, and, and, and I mean, I think after the weekend that they had against the angels, uh, the, what, what the problem with this team is, uh, is kind of fully on display. And like you say, I mean, when we're looking to Danny Jansen to, to maybe add some pop to this lineup, it's like, Oh, something, something's up here. It's a bit weird. Before we cast into the future a little bit, because there's some interesting things coming up, I did want to touch on Ross Atkins and his comments after the Angel sweep. <laughs> One, the fact that he, you know, he made them, which is interesting, just because it's not really there's at this point in the year. Often the general manager kind of goes away um, because there's not, you know, the trade deadline has happened. There's not a lot to say, um, and I thought what. He what was said was very of this front office, which is a double, <laughs> very double. It's a double-edged sword. He said it can be easy to fall into the trap of expecting perfection from human beings, which isn't going to happen. We have the benefit of seeing under the hood to see the work that goes in on a daily basis, their preparation, their conversations about accountability. It gives me a great deal of confidence where this team is. So there's two things that one. Like, that's right. We don't get to see the inside. We, it's often to, easy to be like, oh, this team is in the midst of, of malaise and they need a kick in the butt and these guys don't care and blah, blah, blah. And we're not privy to that. Now, to be fair, even if it was like that, it's not like you would probably say that just the way he is as a person. The second part of it, which is going to be the part that kind of frustrates Blue Jays fans, I think, because Atkins has a knack for frustrating Blue Jays fans, even when he is in broad strokes correct which is when he says it's easy to fall into the trap of expecting perfection from human beings. Now, there's a difference between perfection and not getting absolutely slaughtered by a garbage Angels team at home <laughs> over a three-game series. Like, there, there's a difference between slight underperformance, and we've seen a lot of slight underperformance this year. You could argue the whole year falls under the bucket of slight underperformance and, like, truly bad defeat. And that's what the Blue Jays suffered over the weekend. And it would be nice to see an acknowledgement of the tone of how people feel about the team, at least. Because this doesn't address that. It doesn't address the, wow, people are really down on this team, but I believe in them and blah, 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 and we're going to be okay. Instead, it kind of papers over how people are feeling. And if I know anything about emotions, which arguably I don't, uh, I know that people <laughs> don't like that. They don't like to feel like their feelings are not being acknowledged and validated. That that's absolutely true. Uh, 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 yeah, it's like it's one thing if I'm out there being like, oh, you know, like what are you like, what are you expecting? Like you know, trying to trying to to uh, to bang on about 
you know, the nature of the sport and how much failure and losing is in it. And I, I think, you know, the, I, I've done that at times this year. And also there have been times when it's like, I can't, I can't defend this. I can't, I can't tell people that they, you know, that they're being irrational by watching that angel series and feeling like this, this sucks, man. And this team is, so there's something wrong here. And I don't know that that's true, but yeah, you can't tell anybody not to feel that. Cause that was, that was real ugly. Uh, and it's one thing, like I say, but it's one thing for me to say that. It's another for the GM to come out and say that. And that is, a, that is, 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 is that's, you know, obviously uh, a huge dimension to it. And to why it's a, to, you know, it's just, it's just different when it's like, you're the guy who should be, uh, you know, not, you don't have to demand accountability in public. You could, but since you're talking about it, uh, that's just sort of a weird way to frame it because yeah, it's not perfection and it's not, you know, uh, it, it, the defense, you know, defense shouldn't slump, and you know, Teoscar shouldn't be playing if he, you know, that that's not a that's not a, a miss a miss to going towards perfection when Teoscar's out there on a bad foot and can't slide into second base and uh, cost the team a run in a game where that that run would really matter, you know, or some of the weird misplays that we saw, or some of the you know, I'll just uh, some of the non competitive at bats. I mean, like like I mean, hitting is hard, obviously, but. Uh, you know, I'm I'm going to be the last one to shout about non-competitive at bats, but we've you know we have seen not just sub perfection. There's there's definitely been more uh, more tangible to you know the failings of this team than oh well nobody's perfect. Yeah, and and honestly, on this podcast, like you said, we've had these discussions a fair amount about how about patience and the nature of the sport and how it's easy to get wrapped up in individual games that don't matter that much in the grand scheme of things. Although after twenty twenty one, that's a hard thing to say sometimes. <laughs> um, but I do think, yeah, as a public face of the team, it's a little bit different, and this seems to be a trap that this front office falls into a lot, where they do they express the way they think about the game. Which is not necessarily, and it probably is the right way to think about the game for people in that position. But your job isn't necessarily to explain, and your job in the PR function, like your job is to build the team. But there is also a PR function to the job as well, and this is the function that has been wobbly at times with this front office, at least in the way it's being interpreted. I don't think it's necessarily bad faith a lot of the time on their part. But they're explaining how they think about the game as opposed to, again, addressing how people are feeling or thinking about the team. And when you are having a conversation, you know, within yourselves, these are the types of things you could say, like, oh, whatever, you know, it's you can't expect these guys to be perfect. We got to relax about this. Let's not go too high, too low. But when you're going out and speaking to the media, your role is to address what the public is thinking and or if you're not breaking news. And he's not breaking news here. He's just saying this is how we feel about the series. And I do think it is just kind of indicative of the sort of thing we've seen with them before, where it's, there's a little bit uh, of tone deafness that goes into that. And I do think that overall, like these aren't horrible people. And I think they've been a pretty successful and pretty strong front office, but it is interesting to see that they, you know, having been here for quite a few years now, still seem to have uh, problems with getting their message across in a way that's going to resonate with, the people who are on the other end of that conversation. No, I, I think that's true. I think that's definitely been an issue for them for a long time. I mean, maybe uh, get yourself a burner, Ross, or maybe get off your burner on Twitter, Ross. I, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure which, but you could. The tenor of the conversation would, is, is uh, probably too shaped by that. I know I'm, you know, stupidly addicted to doom scrolling, so. 
so that's sort of my world of it. I, I, and I do sort of find it fun, uh, odd sometimes that there is definitely a disconnect when you go out into the real world and talk to people about the team and, and you know, people who are not like literally like, like uh, have Blue Jays content hooked to their veins at all times is uh, it, it's, it's enlightening. And maybe that, that, that and I think those are the people that it probably doesn't speak well to, especially like, I think maybe if you're, if you're a Twitter pilled uh, weirdo, like myself, you're, you know, the, the, the perfection thing. I get that a bit, but uh, I'm not sure that, that somebody who's like, Hey, weren't these guys supposed to win the world series? What the hell's going on? Uh, which is the vast majority of people because these guys are supposed to be much better than their record suggests and that the, the way that they've looked a lot of times. Um, yeah, I don't, I think you're right. I think that's, uh, that's another in uh, a, a long list of, of sort of missteps. I, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what would have been a lot better to say. I don't know that he had to say anything. Though. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, don't say anything is a good rule of thumb for uh, staying out of trouble in a lot of scenarios. I, I don't think this was an issue that, you know, that's something that kind of the manager can address, to be honest. Um, so if you are going to go to your way to address it, then, you know, I don't know, you can think about a different way to do so. Anyway, we don't have to harp on that too long, well, like I, I said. Well, before we move on, sorry, just a thought. Because it's like, I mean, speaking of the manager, I mean, the manager does still have the interim tag on him. So maybe it's a little where Ross feels he wears it a little bit more. And maybe it's, maybe it's a, uh, you know, it's a vote of confidence to the manager who, you know, I think a lot of people expect will probably end up, you know, having that interim tag removed at some point. Though, uh, though, though I think that's also going to be a situation, depending on how these next few weeks go, where people will be sort of confused by the messaging of it, seeing as, as we talked about on the last one, uh, it doesn't feel like a whole lot has changed with the managerial change, frankly. Yeah, I mean, when he first came on, I mean, both of us would have said there's a very, very high chance, and not only would have, but did, that this t- tag was going to come off. And I think that's still on balance the most likely scenario because I think if he makes the playoffs, I think he's probably good. But, you know, and making the playoffs is still highly probable, but it, it doesn't feel as guaranteed as it did at one time. And, you know, pull up the Fangraphs playoff odds now. You know, 92.4%. I can't say I'm as confident as Fangraphs is, to be no. honest. Um, but, you know, well done, algorithm. I'm sure that there's a lot that goes into that. But it certainly hasn't felt like a 92.4% ride to the end here. And uh, if yeah, there's definitely a way it breaks where they don't make the playoffs, and then that'll be a huge underperformance for a team with the expectations that they had. And then there's a real conversation to be had about, you know, did Schneider change enough? Uh, did he do enough to galvanize these players? And it, it's tough because it's a small sample and maybe he could have been a great manager and things didn't go his way. Again, we're talking about what Fangraph says is an 8% scenario. I think it's more likely than that. Um, but I thought that the the way for him to not end up with this job was so narrow, it was barely worth thinking about. And now it's definitely worth pondering at least. Yeah, no, I think that's true. I, it would be a shame because I think they really like him, and I think that he's uh, you know a good a good baseball guy and an organizational lifer. But that's what happens when you're in that chair, and uh, like it could become untenable for him, which um, you know may not leave them better off, but uh, they may not have much of a choice. So we do we do normally lead with the old uh, transaction, and uh, we left it a little later in the show today just because it is a familiar face. I don't know if there's a ton to say about the return of Bradley Zimmer, but it is worth mentioning. Also, we have the roster expanding at the beginning of September, so I guess 
One, do you have any thoughts about Bradley Zimmer? Uh, and it's okay if the answer to that is no. And then the other one is just sort of who do we think the best other pitcher to come up to bolster this bullpen is? Uh, Merriweather and Pop seem like the obvious two candidates to me, but who do you have in that bucket? Yeah, I mean, I think that's uh, I'm with you on the the, the relievers there. Um, but Zimmer is interesting. I, I you know I I've said a few times I've written a few you know we kind of have to recalibrate what we think about the bench because of the, the limits and the on the roster of like the uh, with the number of pitchers you can carry. Though I think last year the Jays had you know Gerard Dyson and kind of a similar role, but now they, they it does feel like they got a lot of you know potential outfielders on the bench. Uh, adding Bradley Zimmer, though not until you know the, the rosters expand, um, he's going to need a forty-man spot, which we'll we'll see where that goes. I guess that could be interesting. I haven't really thought too much about that. Um, uh, R.I.P. to whoever loses their forty-man spot to Bradley Zimmer to go and like sit on the bench for uh, for six weeks or however long you know, October lasts. Uh, but yeah, I mean. I, I mean, if, if Jose Barrios is going to get knocked around the way he was by the Cubs last night, then having like Zimmer and Bradley in the same outfield is uh, uh, is not the greatest, uh, or is not the is not the the worst idea in the world, right? I, I I think that you know the defensive replacement aspect of it is uh, that's I guess these days enough for you to be rosterable as a player. And I mean, his bat is never going to touch the lineup. I don't think. Maybe if they need a bunt. Maybe if they need a guy who can, you know, score from first and, you know, he can pinch run a bit. But, I, I you know, I, I don't know if that he's a stolen base guy. I think that Buck and Dan talked about that a little bit on the broadcast last night. Uh, you know, it's not so much stolen bases, but he's got speed. And that's, you know, once you know, in certain situations that can be valuable, the defense can be valuable. And, and that's uh, that's really all he has to be. And I think it's it's one of these situations where, uh, you know, a lot of people roll their eyes and a lot of people are like, what the hell? And, and it's kind of like when every year – you know, before the winter meetings, they'll like pick up a reliever on waivers, and people will be like, "Oh, that fixed the bullpen." Oh, yeah, and it's like, "Well, no, it's just a, it, it's just a little incremental thing to improve in these like sort of areas on the margins of the of, of you know where they can pick up a little bit of value on the roster." So I, I'm I'm fine with it. I I wouldn't be I wouldn't have been crying if they didn't do it. I, I'm I'm a little puzzled by. You know, having him and Bradley Jr. and Merrifield on the roster, uh, especially with Springer, you know, now looking healthy and playing center field, though we don't know how long that will last. Um, but yeah, uh, welcome back, Bradley Zinner. Gallop on, gallop on down to first base and do some pinch running for us. Yeah, again, you have to think of the alternatives. Like, do you want to bring Moreno up for a nothing role? No, probably not. You want to keep him getting at bats. Yeah. You know, Zach Collins isn't anything. Otto Lopez is someone who's had very little, you know, time with on the big league roster, and he's having a pretty good year at AAA, to be honest. But they seem to have determined that he's not someone who can help them. You know, Vinny Capra is, you know, he's Vinny Capra. I don't think there's not much more to be said about that. The only guy that's sort of in the mix at AAA that I would have maybe considered as an alternative here would have been Yoshi Sutsugo, who they picked up on a minor league deal. And, you know, he's hit well in all of seven games at AAA for them, but he's hit well, you know, he hit well at AAA for the Pirates briefly as well this year. Obviously a disaster for the Pirates this season, pure change of scenery guy, but someone who did have some talent at some point. And I'm not sure I wouldn't rather take a bench spot that's almost never going to be used and give it to someone with, Again, with a little pop, uh, with a little bit more offensive potential, 
but that yeah that late game outfield with Bradley and Zimmer could be uh pretty pretty good but yeah again like that's sort of it's that or you're just combing the waiver wire and I'm not going to pretend like I'm going to go through every 40 man roster and figure out who might shake loose and you know maybe that that could also happen too like someone could shake loose yeah. somewhere along the line and Zimmer's tenure here could be you know all of 4 days um, that's not a guarantee by any means, but it, it does seem like a weird thing to get worked up about. That's for sure. Yeah, definitely. And, and I mean, so guy, I mean, guys who are on the 40 man will still be playoff eligible. Guys who are on the 60 day IL will be playoff eligible. And there's ways to get guys on, you know, and we've seen, we've seen the next trains. We've seen like the Jays are not, uh, you know, morally opposed to, uh, <laughs> to working the, the, uh, the injured list. Uh, perhaps uh, not as truthfully as possible. I guess they got a doctor signing off on neck strains because uh, I know a doctor does have to sign off on those. Um, but yeah, that, so that could keep Tsugo in play. I mean, the, he'd be he'd be an interesting bat off the bench at the trop if that if uh, if such a thing were to come to pass. I just I feel like that that would be like karmically and just uh, just just uh, the, that's the right energy. That's what that's what you want. There's a, a place where he can have a big moment. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't. I, yeah, I don't know that there are a ton of alternatives that they have, and I, I think you're right about Moreno. The you know the, the 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 difference between September call-ups now and in previous years, of course, is not just that they're limited and they're not just you know they can't just like flood the dugout with everybody on the forty man. It's also that the minor league season is going all the way to the end of September, so Moreno can still get reps, can still get at bats. Uh, you know, all the way until the end of September for Buffalo. And I think they probably think that that's the best thing to do. And, and if they found a way to get him on the roster before, you know, before the playoffs or for the end of the, the regular season, uh, because he's on the 40 man, I think that they, that he's still playoff eligible and uh, they, they may still do that. So there's still some shaping to come. I don't know that this is such a hard deadline as it sometimes seems. Um, but yeah, I, I, also if it, if if this was it, if it was Bradley, Brad, the, the the Bradleys Junior, I don't know what we called them earlier. Uh, I think that that's uh, uh, interesting. Uh, the the defensive outfield is certainly. Uh, I won't go as far as calling it a weapon, but it's uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't think you should call it a weapon, but, <laughs> but it's better than what they've got. Uh, it's... Certainly, I mean, we've seen we've seen enough of Guriel thinking he's a fast guy when he's not and, and Teo being Teo that uh, yeah, a couple of elite gloves out there could not hurt. Yeah. I, I don't think that, it, like I said, it's not something to get worked up about. It could change. It is weird. It's undoubtedly weird. There's no two ways about that, but you know, Zimmer is, he has uses and I don't think all bench players have uses. Sometimes they're kind of worse around the board and they're more of just a shitty backup player. Whereas the Blue Jays have enough positional versatility that they can kind of rotate all their guys who are any good through. They don't need, you know, a backup second baseman, for instance, or third baseman or corner infielder, or corner outfielder. They don't need a specific backup. They just need a guy with a use and he has a use. Um, the timing of today's episode is such that we're not going to get to discuss the Marcus Stroman return for what it is and what happens. But I do think it's worth touching on because he's a significant uh, piece of uh, era in Blue Jays history. And I, I mean, what do you think, where do you think the fan base is with Stroman? Cause it, it is weird. There was a, a ton of love at the beginning, especially in 2015 when he came back from that injury 
and that seemed like it sort of soured slowly over time. Like, where do you think people's level of excitement to see Strowman is again? And, and I don't know. Like, I don't think he's going to be, I think he's going to be cheered. Like, I don't think he's going to be booed or anything, but well, yeah. Where do you think the general Strowman vibe is? Yeah, that is uh, because of things I was saying earlier, it's hard for me to gauge because, you know, on Twitter, the, the I think the conversation about Strowman is different because everybody, you know, you'll have seen the clipped ears of his dog and shit like that. Right. And and I think the slow sort of unraveling of that relationship between Jason and their fans, you know, the, the Strochez breakup was like maybe the first the, the first domino. But you know, just you keep you, the the stories are, are just there's just weird, just a weird vibe of Twitter interactions and of various interactions, and then there was the, uh, you know, the tantrum after he got traded to the Mets, supposedly, and, uh, and I mean that's and all not this stuff has made it very easy. I think you know, as soon as he was gone, for people to be like, uh, I don't mind not having to cheer for that guy so much. I mean, the tantrum is not supposedly. That's, That's pretty true. Real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was there that day. Well, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, it's his legacy with the Blue Jays is interesting because at one point, I, I don't know, I, we've been talking a lot about what you'll remember and sort of casting deep into the future. And I don't know why we're being philosophical in that way lately. But he seems like the type of player who meant more when you were watching him than he's going to mean in the future, I don't think. Like, he wasn't with the Blue Jays for an enormous period of time at the end of the day. Like, he kind of came and went on his rookie deal. And he, you know, if you look at it, you, you know, he never won a Cy Young. He never won them a World Series. He actually had a couple of years that were sort of fine as opposed to amazing. Like, he was consistently really good but never necessarily great and i could see someone in 20 years being like you know not really remembering or thinking of Mar of marcus stroman much whereas at the time he felt like such a central figure to the blue jays and he does feel like that guy that you maybe end up telling future generations of fans about because of his you know his weird bearish wind-ups and the ways came back from his injury miraculously and, you know, some of the personality injected into this team, whereas if someone's perusing his baseball reference page in the future, they'll say, oh, that was a good pitcher. No, I, I think that's absolutely true. And, you know, the personality is, is a huge part of it. It was a huge part of the appeal for a while. And I think it did sort of wear on people. Uh, but again, this is I'm speaking about, you know, the, the the echo chamber that I'm in of like of like online weirdos. So, um, which of which I suspect a lot of the folks listening are as well. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, so I, I don't know how that's going to translate to the general public who, you know, remember him perhaps more fondly or are less aware of some of like just the weird Twitter interactions and all that stuff. Um, and who, you know, remember, uh, the way that he was, he was traded and the, the, you know, that was not, uh, speaking of bad moments for Ross Atkins. That was not his finest uh, bit of PR work that day either. Uh, especially, you know, with people so upset about, you know, the breaking up of the 2015-16 team and, uh, you know, Sanchez getting traded for, for virtually nothing and uh, not, a, not a great era. Not a great era. I mean, it didn't work out too badly for them. I think that, you know, uh, baggage aside, I mean, I'm not sure that, uh, that basically taking what we would have been able to spend to extend Mark Stroman and, and turning it into Jose Barrios is looking great for them at the moment. But, um, but yeah, I, I think that I think, you know, they played the video uh, for him before the game 
uh, on Monday night, and there was, you know, apparently some some nice applause. I don't know that it's gonna, you know, they're gonna go wild for him. Uh, but he obviously also, uh, and this is maybe something that wears on people, is, is very fond of Toronto and always very, you know, very uh, vocal about his love for the city and the fans. And, uh, and I don't know, I sometimes look at that as though it's perhaps cynical and, and uh, perhaps brand building because we, you know, we've seen the HTMH shirts and the brand building. Um, but yeah, I think that, I think that is also very likely that it's genuine, you know, man, go, go the skyline tattooed on his chest like it really meant a lot to him i think and um yeah i hope i hope it's a, a warm reception you know all the the weird baggage stuff who the hell knows what anything means to, the, you know and, and uh when it, when you're not when you're talking about somebody that you don't like know personally these days and it's all sort of filtered through social media and the media so um yeah i i certainly don't expect him to get booed I, uh, uh, you know i i think that he's a, he's going to be a problem for the blue jays tonight he's a good pitcher yeah. And you, you mentioned the branding. I think that was part of what wore on people. It felt like there was sort of an always on, I don't know, to make an NFL comparison as you love, like a bit of a <laughs> Russell Wilson to him where everything was calculated. He was trying to build these brands and stuff and the HDMH stuff. I don't know if I just screwed up that acronym. Uh, it, it did get tedious, but then, you know, the flip side of that was like, I think there generally were some people that he was inspiring to. Like he was, uh, you know, seeing a pitcher of his height is incredibly unusual, especially one who holds up over, you know, 200 inning seasons in this, in an era where that doesn't really happen. Like, although that did get sort of played out, it's not like there was nothing to it. Like he did overcome some stuff to get here. Uh, and the Blue Jays were wise to overlook that as well in drafting him and developing him. And a lot of the personality stuff, I think that, you know, would I love to hang out with Marcus Roman based on everything I've seen? And, uh, you know, maybe not. Maybe he's not for me. But I, we do sometimes give athletes, you know, a lot of shit for being like, this guy is so vanilla. This guy says yeah. exactly what he's going to say. This guy always just credits the team or gives thanks to God or whatever. It depends on the sport. Um and Stroman wasn't that. Like, he would often speak his mind. He wasn't shy about telling people that he was really good at this thing. And he was really good at this thing. Maybe not as good as he necessarily thought he was at times. And that's another thing that can bother people. But heck, like, you know, a little self-confidence can go a long way towards people succeeding. So I understand that. Like, I think back to the game last night. And, like, Danny Jansen is a guy that, you know, based on my personal interactions with him, I've liked a fair amount. And I think he's actually a pretty funny guy. But if you, but that after the game, you know, interview and, uh, you know, after the game interviews are never good by any means. And I'm, and right. I don't think that's really anybody's fault, but you know, everything he said was like, you know, the team needed this bowl. Like it was, you know, it was absolutely right. Reading off a checklist. Right. And Stroman wasn't that. And I think that sometimes it's unfair for us to bemoan. We don't get X. And then we, when we get it, we're like, oh, but that's also no good. No, I, I I think that that's absolutely true. I think that's right. I think that, that goes across sports, and you, and you see, you know, you see, inevitably, I think that you know it'll be not not, not non-white people, but also like you know Russians in hockey get get dinged for having personality, and and you see, like this is that we on one hand want to you know want to see that personality and then people sort of get criticized for it when they do it and it is a weird thing and it is something that i think is worth being cognizant of when it comes to what our thoughts are about stroman and that whole experience 
Uh, and it, it, it maybe clouds it a bit because there's, I, mean, I can't, I can't fault anyone for being like, yeah, but you know, well, you were there for that tantrum and, and like, there is real, there's real, there's real tangible stuff behind why people are like, okay, this guy. And I think, you know, Shapiro and Atkins themselves would probably admit, uh, you know, it was something that I would that I had said at the time was just like basically, you know, people we talked a lot during that summer of, of I guess, 2018 or 2018, 2019, whatever it was uh, about, you know, potentially extending him. Here's a really good pitcher who wants to stay and they didn't really want to do it. And uh, and I think that a lot of I think Shapiro and Atkins would say, you know, they didn't want to make him the biggest voice in the room, the biggest, highest paid guy in a in a room where they had this young core coming up and trying to. Uh, you know, create a new culture. And I think that that, uh, I think that that's real as well. So I'm not sure that they want guys necessarily to be vanilla. They obviously like Vladdy who, you know, this is my house was the thing earlier in the year. You haven't heard Vladdy, you know, be as excited about his own performance lately for, for understandable reasons. But, uh, but yeah, I, I mean, it's, it, he's a very, he's a very interesting character. And I, I had a lot of enjoyment watching him pitch. And, and I thought, it, you know, it was, he was a great part of that team and great part of really fun teams. I remember his Jays career very fondly. Um, but also I think that, yeah, a lot of people are, are, uh, are a bit over it. Yeah. It's a weird thing. Cause it's like, in theory, you want this guy who's this, uh, you know, who puts his cards on the table and is honest and isn't vanilla. And then, uh, you know, and then some part of your head is like, yeah, maybe not this individual guy, like, but in general, yes. But it, you know, you look at the the you know the fastest growing sports right now, and this is probably not scientific. Um, so maybe this won't literally be the fastest growing sports right now. But some of the fastest growing and most popular sports right now, I know, especially with younger people, is like the NBA and F one, and those yeah. are sports where people have you know, over the top, you know, personalities and there's sort of like a soap opera aspect to it. And sometimes that can get a little eye rolly. And like, if anyone watches F1, like I think Charles Leclerc is probably tiring people out at this point, but it's also a big part of it. And it, I think it helps people who are as well, less sort of fixated on the X's and O's get invested in stuff too. Like baseball, if you sit and watch a baseball game and you don't really know what you're watching, I understand why people can find that boring. But if you know that like the pitcher has said X, Y, and Z, or, you know, Alec Manoa talking about like, don't come like come past the Audi sign. If you want to talk to me or whatever his exact quote was, well, if Alec Manoa and Garrett Cole match up in a game, then you're going to, you know, that's a storyline to follow. And, and, you know, baseball is 162 games a year and there aren't enough of those type of storylines, to be honest. And Stroman is one of those type of guys who does provide some of those, that narrative richness that uh, sort of the day-to-day regular season baseball can lack. Yeah. And does, does seem to sort of enjoy leaning into it sometimes too. But yeah, I, I think, I mean, I don't know what the numbers are on F1. I don't know where the ratings are in this country or, you know, it's always been popular elsewhere, but yeah, I mean, I I have never seen and I've uh, I've I've sort of casually followed F one for years and years and years. I would wake up and watch Michael fucking Schumacher years ago, but like the 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 conversation and the level of interest in it since that show came out, which basically is like reality TV, it's like turning it into a soap opera, has been through through the roof. And like that's like that's awesome. That seems super cool that people can get into it and get into all the other side stuff. And I think you're right. I mean, I don't know if we need to turn every sport into a soap opera, but also, 
Yeah, the, why the hell not? Why not have all of it? It's uh, the the Blue Jays themselves and other you know the people in the industry. Will tell, it's an entertainment product, and, um, and yeah, no, I would love to. I, I would love more of that. Absolutely. I mean, Cole versus Manoa. Let, let's go. So before we uh, get out of here, we're just about wrapping up. Did want to touch on a little piece of good news. We don't always go league wide, but MOBPA. Looks like they're actually putting their weight behind minor league baseball unionization. I don't know if either of us, you know, are ex- extreme level of experts on this, but it is, uh, it's a really important piece of news because it seems like the MOBPA has, I mean, to say they've sold out, you know, pre draft players and minor league players. I don't know. Maybe that isn't too strong, to be honest. But it seems like they've always really prioritized. Okay, you are an MOB, and we're we're willing to make concessions for the other ones to make sure you're taken care of. And maybe that's fine because that's what's under their umbrella. Uh, it's a very complicated issue, but it it is a nice little piece of news to see that you know minor league players whose living conditions and working conditions have been frankly unacceptable for an incredibly long time are at least on the road to something better. We don't know what the outcome might be, but. This is the best news on something that I think a lot of people in baseball have been talking about for years and years now and has really come to the fore of the com- public conversation. There hasn't seemed to be a lot of progress. Uh, I know the Jays had like a little bit of a raise for the players, and there there have been a couple things with nutrition and things like that with the Dodgers and various teams. But uh, the overall big picture has always been that this just isn't good enough what's going on, and I don't know how long it's going to take to get to that point or if we – Will, but it's good to see a positive piece of news in that arena. Yeah, uh, it, it is. I mean, yeah, the miners should be unionized. Now, the the my concern about it is, and I've seen some tw- Twitter threads about it, so I can't take focus, but, but you know, uh, the, I would just, I hope, I mean, the way that people think about okay, unionize the miners, yes, all the minor league players are now in a union. They have bargaining power. They can get, you know, fair, equitable pay, pay that actually, you know, that, that is like a living wage. Uh, but the other thing, the other flip side of that is that, uh, you know, I'm not sure what the legalities are, but it, but you know, the, the league, I feel probably still thinks there's too many minor leaguers and we've seen a, you know, a move towards complexes. We've seen like, you know, more specialization in terms of like how players train and young players train. And, you know, the, it would be a shame if this objectively excellent piece of news and an excellent thing to see happen. Uh, was turned into a way for the league to uh, to reduce jobs and to to pull back more minor league teams and to and to further you know decimate the sport at the at that level. Uh, again, I don't know what the you know what you know what they would be entitled to do, but you sort of watch stories like what's going on with Starbucks closing places where they're having union organizers, and there's I don't know that there's a lot of power to to stop in certain situations. They certainly have all the lawyers in the world. Uh, and I don't necessarily know how valuable some of those teams are. I mean, they, we saw them, you know, contract a bunch of minor league teams or at least get them out of affiliated ball. And, you know, I'm certainly not saying this because it's, uh, because it's a bad thing and that I, I think that that shouldn't be done. It should be done. I'm just saying that I am, uh, skeptical that, uh, that MLB's response will be, oh, okay guys, well, now we're going to pay you fairly. Like, I think that this is just sort of the start of the story and not the end of it. Yeah, absolutely. This is a a step down a positive path, and we don't know what the outcome is yet. But it's been a long time that this step hasn't been taken. So today, I'm willing to take it as a positive, and in the future, I'm willing to 
uh, feel really depressed about what MLB is doing. But uh, for now, it's a good step, and uh, I hope that uh, they bring a better outcome for these players and these guys who are working hard at their dream. And I think a lot of them, to be honest, don't make it to the highest level in part because of the conditions that are there. And that's pretty unfair and, and it's pretty brutal. So it's, it's good to know that at least some of the powers that be the MOBPA isn't the most powerful group in the universe, but they do have some power and they're putting it behind this. And that is good to see. Yeah, absolutely. Long overdue. I mean, these guys deserve, better working conditions and uh you know if you unless you subscribe to the theory that you know complex leagues are better you know play you know having guys just at your own facilities and, and that you know riding the buses is no longer the the ideal form of player development uh the guys that pad out these rosters are 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 necessary they're your future coaches they're like they're such they're these are guys who even if they don't go you know in the in the pro ranks who go back to their hometowns and can coach in little league like it's so much that is good from a grassroots standpoint for the for the sport that these players do even if they never even touch like double a uh the way that the, the way that MLB has treated them forever is is a scandal and should be a scandal and and hopefully this this makes something better of it for sure all right, we will leave it on that note, and we will come to you guys after Thursday's game uh, for our second episode of the week. We appreciate you guys tuning in live at this odd time, or not after Thursday's game. That is an off day. We will come to you at sort of a, a happy hour-ish time. We will uh, be genuine to our name, which is not always true. Uh, we will see you then, and thanks for listening in, whether it was live or you were taking this in after the fact. All right. Thanks, everybody. See you Thursday.